Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. In this podcast, we take a reading from Scripture each day. We look at the background material to that passage and also application for us. Once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Illuminated Word, the bathroom quarantine edition. <laughs> um, as you know, we uh, the staff are, uh, have been quarantined for a couple of weeks due to COVID, and so when it is my time for the podcast, I don't know if the other guys have offices, maybe, or where they do their work from while at home. Um, I have a bathroom, so I am in the bathroom recording again this week. And our section is from Daniel chapter 7, verses 15 through 28. Somewhat of a lengthy passage, but it's needed. It's uh, an explanatory passage, so it it helps us a lot in understanding uh, what Daniel's visions are so far at this point. So you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter 7, starting in verse 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him in the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are the four kings who shall rise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, in which devoured and broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and the mouth that spoke great things, that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth, and trample it down, and break it to pieces. And as for the ten horns, out of his kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and he shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all his dominion shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. This is undoubtedly a pretty confusing passage for a lot of people. Uh, even for me, uh, it is wrought with um, illustration and uh, typology and uh, what we would call apocalyptic language, which is just a, a genre of literature dealing with end times. Daniel and a little bit in Isaiah, the Gospels and Revelation, 
uh, all have this this type of language here. But Daniel is definitely the the one Old Testament book that I think most people turn to when you think of apocalyptic imagery. I won't do a whole lot with the interpretation other than just maybe prove a point in that um, the interpretation always changes with the age. Uh, Regardless of what generation, um, what group of people, they all have their own interpretation. They all figure things mean a certain thing. And I think it's great when you have an opinion and maybe you can even support that with scripture. Um, But I think the point with a lot of apocalyptic imagery, especially that of Revelation, is um, we don't have to know, right? Um, The one part that is explained well is that God wins, is that Jesus defeats sin and death, and that's all that there really is to worry about. Not to say this isn't interesting, and we shouldn't spend some time and some effort in trying to decipher it. I think we should. I think the the, the study of it is is worth the, the fruit it bears. But uh, I won't even dive into maybe more current ideas, current interpretations. I'm just going to give you maybe two big ones. Uh, I'm going to com- kind of compare the Maccabean view uh, to the view that most people tend to hold now- nowadays, which I'll just refer to as a traditional view. The Maccabean view views, I'm just going to look at <clears throat> the four beasts as well as the horns in this um, vision that Daniel receives. So in the Maccabean view, again, the Maccabeans were a um, uh, the Jewish people back in around 160 BC who uh, revolted after many, many years of repression and um, hostility from surrounding nations, particularly um, uh, the Greeks. Um but that's, a, I guess, another history lesson in itself. That The Maccabees, though, um, led this revolt and ultimately won against their oppressors. Uh, but the Maccabeans held a particular view of the book of Daniel. The lion represented Nebuchadnezzar in their history. Um, the king of Babylon, who for a time you know, became like an animal. And so there's that illusion there. The bear would represent Midia, who attacked Babylon, who, um, you know, Darius the Mede, so there's some connection there as well. The leopard represents Persia. The four wings of this leopard may represent the four Persian kings mentioned in Scripture, Daniel chapter 11, verse 2, but more likely uh, represent the rapid rise of the Persian Empire. However, the four heads may represent the four Persian kings. So a couple of ways to view the, the head and the wings of the, of the leopard. The beast, the big bad beast, is uh, what represents Greece, particularly the Seleucids after the time of Alexander the Great. Um, as in the fourth part of the statue, right, the, the clay feet uh, in Daniel chapter 2. Um, the, the fourth beast uh, has feet, it has components of iron, crushed its opponents. Those are all things um, maybe we could attribute to, to Greece. Um, the ten horns of the beast, um, according to Maccabean interpretation, is a round number representing the, the number of Seleucid kings from Cilicius the first to Antichus the fourth, which is actually 
eight kings or nine if Alexander is included. So you're kind of having to do this rounding up to ten. Um, the little horn would be Antichus IV. This is who the Maccabees ultimately rose up against. Um, you can read that history in the, the Maccabees if you uh, want to dive into that. Um, so the, the little horn would be Antichus IV who, you know, attempts to change all these different things about the um, Jewish culture and is really oppressive. Um, how he, he, he does carry on about a three-and-a-half-year kind of persecution around 167, um, 167 to about 164, when the temple is ultimately kind of taken back or purified um, by Judas. Um, so that's got some pretty cool little connections there for the little horn. The three ousted horns, or the horns that are kind of defeated by the little horn, um, are, there's kind of a couple of views, and I won't even get into those because it's a lot of names that most people aren't familiar with, um, but just different kings and rulers of uh, the particular time around 164, 167, um, that the Maccabees you know, feel like their history really uh, were, was fulfilled in that moment with um, Judas Maccabee uh, kind of coming in and setting things straight. The traditional view, though, is, uh, you know, what I would say a lot of amillennial um, in interpreters of Scripture probably lean towards. The lion would be similar to the Maccabean view above, representing Nebuchadnezzar. The bear would be the Medes and the Persians. Um, and they take this interpretation because... How the bears are raised up on one side, showing that the, the the Medes were more powerful than the Persians, and the three ribs in the bear's mouth may represent the Medo-Persian conquests of Lydia, Babylon, and Egypt, the three countries that they really took over. So a little bit stronger connection, or at least a a more fleshed out interpretation. The leopard would represent the Greeks. Okay, Maccabean view said the beast was the Greeks. This traditional view would say the leopard is the Greeks. The four heads would represent a fourfold division of Alexander's kingdom upon his death, which that fits in with history well, too. The fact when Alexander died, his um, rule was split up in, in, into four. Uh, then you have the beast. Traditional view would say that the beast is Rome. Uh, it's in this time that the Son of Man would ascend to be the Ancient of Days and receive a kingdom that is on, on Pentecost when the Spirit descends. Uh, we can also note the similarity of this beast to the beast with the seven heads in Revelation 13, which, you know, according to a more common interpretation of Revelation, uh, is Rome. So that means that the ten horns represent the series of, of emperors in, under Roman rule from Julius to Domitian, which is actually twelve uh, minus two if you take away two who ruled for brief periods of time. Uh, the little horn would be Vespasian, who uh, directed the Roman war against Judea, or Domitian, who you know, supposedly had this great persecution against Christians. So, some connections there, too. The three ousted horns in the traditional view would be um, Gelba, Otho, and Vitilius, who were emperor uh, slash kind of like generals like Vespasian, who were fighting for the Roman throne and who ultimately lost out to Vespasian. Um, so there's some 
you know, interesting ways of looking at it. And I think all, you know, this traditional view that I've kind of given, it does hold a lot of, you know, credibility, I guess. You've got a lot of people that support it. Um, but again, it's an interpretation. And we have people now in our, our current day who try to interpret Daniel as applying to things in our current, um, you know, recent history, uh, which is kind of wild. I think it makes a, makes a lot more sense to view this as something that was happening in Daniel's time, not something that's looking forward to, you know, 2,500 years after his time. I think Daniel has a bit more, um, you know, historical uh, relevance, uh, as, at least as far as his visions go, than modern relevance. Uh, but I think it would be good to end on some actual application. You know, what do we do with a passage like this? It's hard because this isn't really necessarily written for us. This is written for our benefit. We can definitely learn a lot from it. But I wouldn't go so far as to say that this particular uh, vision that Daniel is receiving applies to us in our current time. But I think there is a way of thinking, a way of viewing oneself that can be taken from this. First off, I think it's cool to note that Daniel sees this council of divine beings meeting with one another, and he decides to kind of jump in and ask one of them what these visions mean. We see a divine council throughout Scripture, and it's cool that Daniel has it here as well. I think our big point for application, this is at least what I drew out of it, is that Daniel... He is known at this point as the great dream interpreter, right? For all the kings, that's who, who they go to, is, is Daniel. And Daniel receives this word. But he's still not so full of himself that he takes matters into his own hands and I guess, you know, kind of uses his ability for his own purposes or in the emotions of, of a particular moment. Maybe kind of like Moses Maybe we could compare him to Moses as kind of being an anti-type there. You know, Moses doesn't go to God before striking the rock and having the water pour out. He just uses the power that he has when he wants to use it. And Daniel doesn't seem to do that. Um, he goes to God first. He, he seeks divine counsel first. He is the one whose spirit is so great and can interpret these dreams but in chapter 7, verse 15 here, when his spirit is anxious, he goes to the Father. He, he doesn't go to anyone else. He doesn't rely on his own abilities, even. You know, gifts that God has given him, he, he's not going to rely on those things. He's going to only trust in God. I think that's a pretty cool uh, attitude or, or mindset to have. That regardless of what God has given me, what gifts I think I might possess... That, that's never what's going to lead my decisions. I'm never going to rely on those things to solve my problems. I always go to the Father. I hope you've had a good week. I hope you're looking for ways to love and serve your neighbors in genuine and sincere ways and show them the love and truth that, that Christ has given us. Peace and love.